Hello and welcome to Actuarial People with myself, James Turner. I'm excited to be launching a brand new podcast where each week I'll be speaking with the UK actuary. My aim is to give you, the listener, greater insight into the people behind the profession and their personal career journeys. So we'll cover things like why and how they became an actuary, what they do on a day-to-day basis, how they balance work and study with life, any specialisms they've developed, and how their role has evolved over time. So whether you're an actuary yourself, or you're aspiring to become one in the future, welcome and enjoy. Please welcome to Actuarial People, Suchi Dench. Thank you. Hi, how are you doing today? Yeah, very well, thank you. How about yourself? I'm good, I'm good. It's not quite as hot as it was last week, so a um, little bit more comfortable sitting here. But um, thank you so much for, for joining me and being one of the first guests on the on the show. Suji, I wondered if I could just start by asking you to give a, a brief overview of where you are today, so what you do, your main role, and then we'll work backwards and, and, and start from the beginning. So I am a consultant at Mercer, um, and I mainly work for risk transfer and funding and benefits team. It's been six months since I've joined Mercer, but it doesn't feel like it. Um, and yeah, just because the learning curve has been quite steep, um, especially for risk transfer work. And what I do now is mainly in the bulk annuities market, helping clients or, or schemes to achieve their end goal. Um, and when, when I say end goal, it's not necessarily always going to an insurer and getting the scheme off your balance sheet. Uh, it's not always that. It's also thinking about how can I run the scheme off for, for longer, whether, it, whether it's self-sufficiency for, for some of the schemes or other financing options. So mainly into that market, finding it very interesting, but I've got over 10 years of experience, mainly in the trustee and corporate advisory role, um, five years for, for the UK-based pension schemes. But before that, I was working in the US pension market. So very, very background. Um, I've done a lot of things in life, um, especially career-wise. Um, but yeah, hopefully my clients find that useful. Fantastic. Well, um, I'm sure we'll come on to much of that a bit later. I'll start as I always do, which is asking you, can you remember when you first realised that actuaries existed? Yeah, it wasn't really a realisation. It was, um, there was a teacher of mine, accounts teacher, who saw my scores in maths and then saw my scores in accounts. And he was like, you're really good at this. You should, you should try actuarial. And I was like, what is it? Is even that term? Like, I've never heard of it before. And then I did a lot of research and whatever I was reading about it, I was liking. I spoke to a lot of um, Indian actuarial teachers as well um, at the time. And yeah, it did seem like something I would enjoy. Then I went into university in my first year. I, I took on maths and um, actuarial exams at the same point um, for maybe... The first three or four months, I, I thought, why have I put myself into this? I'm not following anything. I don't know what they're trying to do here. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was, yeah, just just a month before the exam, I, I just had an epiphany or something. I started understanding the concepts more. And 
that's when I got really interested and I, I, I then remembered what my accounts teacher said and it was, yeah, this this probably is for me. Um, and I was really grateful and I gave him a call and I said, you were right about this, like, I, I am very much enjoying it. So thank you for just pointing me into that direction. So you don't know what happened after three months, it just happened? No, yeah, it just, I so, well... Myself, I'm I'm a really slow learner. <laughs> There's no denying it. Um, but it was more about maybe reading it until you fully understood the concepts. So I find it very difficult to just take a look at something and then see how how I should answer that question. I don't work in that manner. I try to fully imagine the concept, how I can apply it. And I think that takes a bit of time getting there and understanding the concept fully. Um, and yeah, I think it was just reading it over and over to get my brain fully adjusted to the new concepts I was looking at. And one day it just, it just happened that one thing, one small thing I understood, and I think it was a Poisson distribution. Um, I finally learned to apply it and, and that's what started it all. Nice. And then everything after that point at uni made sense and, and you kind of knew by the time you graduated that this is the career for you? Well, that's that's another story. I, I did feel quite burnt out um, as I was doing maths and then the the actuarial exams at the same time. And it's quite a common thing in India to do. And there are people who are very successful at it. Um, I personally, I did not find the right balance for myself. Um, and to be honest, I don't enjoy learning very quickly either because I feel like I'm, I'm just skimming through the concepts. Um, so I, I do did take a bit of time, concentrated on my maths degree first. And then when I got into the job, the, the actuarial job world, that's when I um, took on my exams again. Okay, interesting, because in the UK, it's much more normal to complete university. And then you tend to start the exams once you've got your first actuarial job, and you've got your study support plan around that. But but you're saying where you were is more normal to um register yourself with the institute and take the exams as well as studying? Yeah, so earlier it, it used to be the same case as the UK where, where people would complete their degree, bachelor's, master's maybe, and then think about taking on exams. Um, it's just, yeah, it's a more competitive world now, um, the, especially in a place like India. Jobs are less than the, the people who are willing to do them. Um, so, yeah, I think being more prepared uh, in terms of the, the actual exams and your job interview and, and what the pension or insurance world could offer to you. If you if you come across more prepared, then you've all already got an upper hand. Um, so maybe that's why um, a lot of students do do that. But yeah, just for myself personally, I didn't find that that route was sustainable for me. So how, how once you finished your degree, how did you find the process of finding your first actuarial job? Um, so by the time I finished my degree, I kind of thought that um, maybe I wouldn't go into actuarial just because how burnt out I felt uh, when I was trying to do my exams and my degree at the same time. Um, and I went into um, credit card underwriting and that was for about six months. Uh, the job that I took on. Um, 
and one day somebody from Mercer approached me um, for for actuarial role for U.S. pension schemes, and I just I thought, can I can I give it a try? Um, because I did really enjoy it, what I was doing at the time. It was just I didn't find the right balance in my time. So can I give it another go? And I remember I was extremely busy at work. It was one of those deadlines where you have to underwrite a lot that day <laughs> for a lot of um, the products that we develop every month. Um, and for my interview with Mercer, I had to say, look, there have been a few absences in the office and I'm having to work in the evening till quite late and I don't know how I can make to my interview. I really want to speak to you, but today isn't seeming likely, uh, especially not at the time when you've proposed. And they were very, very accommodating. They just said, it's okay, our interviewers will wait. Just give us a call as soon as you're free in the evening. And I think it was what, half past seven in the evening. I got to their office wow. uh, and yeah, started speaking to them. And I'm I'm really grateful because I don't know if I would have ever gone back to it. But there you go. That that that's where people understand that you're not trying to shrug off uh, the the responsibility of appearing and interviewing and everything. You're not scared of it. You're just trying to do good at the job that you are in. And I think they really appreciated it that I didn't leave my current job in the middle of whatever they were um so yeah i completed that i came to the interview and they they were very accommodating and appreciative of what i was doing at the time so yeah had they not done it for me i i wouldn't have gone back to the actual <laughs> world ever so really thankful and and then thinking back to your sort of first year or so in in the job how did you find it working as an actuarial analyst picking up whether it's the technical side, whether it's the, the consulting bit, how was it for you? Um, so for me, because I was working in India, the, the consulting environment isn't available as much, especially when you are an analyst. Um, so it was all fully technical. It was right in your face technical <laughs> from day one. Um, and you're kind of left on your own to understand all the concepts, how things work, the different processes, what is expected out of you. Um, I mean, you do have buddies or mentors or your manager to support to on 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 those terms, but you you kind of have to figure out what is it that's really required for your client on your own. Um, even as an analyst, you kind of have to think my client is the person reviewing this and what is it that they would need to send to the client and is my piece ready enough? Do do I think that I can put myself in their shoes and present this to the client? And yeah, there was um, lots of things to learn, lots of changes, lots of back and forth <laughs> in my deliverables, but I think I finally got there. Were you taking exams at that point? Because by the sounds of it, balancing that with also then taking up the actual exams on top and finding time for that sounds almost impossible. Or did you leave them until later? Hi, guys. We'll get straight back to the conversation in a second. Just a quick reminder that when I'm not recording podcasts, I specialise in helping pensions actuaries with their career moves. And I'd love to help you when the time comes to explore your options. I work with people at all levels, whether you have a couple of years experience through to senior positions. 
My approach is different to most recruiters. I started my own business last year and work alone, which means I have zero pressure to hit targets and can just focus on giving the best possible help and advice. So whether you're thinking of making a move now or would just like to understand your options for the future, please get in touch via LinkedIn or email james at turnerperkins.com. Back to the show. Well, I, I kind of left them for about 10 years, James. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got into the job, found it really interesting. And I think the thing that has been with me always is I like to learn. And I do not care where that learning is coming from, whether it's through my job, whether it's through my maths degree, or it's through some actuarial papers. I, I've really never cared that much. I'm probably not a person who's trying to look really good on paper. I, I'm, I don't. Um, but I think just in life, um, in, in, in the pensions world as well, it really matters to me that I am constantly learning. And when I joined Mercer, the first few years were full on. Um, and there was so much to learn. And I found that the exams that you maybe take on after learning some on your job really, really help you. Um, and yeah, it's, I didn't, I didn't get into my exams straight away. I did try a little, but maybe I wasn't dedicated enough at the time. I was more so to my job. Um, and I did progress very well. Um, but yeah, not not so much to my exams, so I don't think I can answer if I was able to balance because um, I was just more focusing on the job at the time. Yeah, yeah. And you said you were, for the first, I think you said five years, you were focused on US pension schemes. I don't know too much about them. The, the phrase 401k comes to mind. I don't know if it's that type of pension or if it's a different arrangement, but at some point, did you then move to focus on UK schemes? And if so, was that a deliberate choice with a future move in mind or was it just how things worked out at the time? Um, so in the US pension schemes, they are typically um, easier than the UK pension schemes in, in a way that there's no inflation link there's no pension increases. It's quite simple. And when I first started, I was just fortunately being put on a couple very, very big clients of Mercer. I was working with people who were really appreciative, really keen on me to learn uh, new things. And also just because I was working on such big clients, I was also given the opportunity to be more active in terms of consulting with the consultants in the US and trying to figure out what is it that the client needs because it wasn't it wasn't a small client, it wasn't something that they have been working on for years and the process is set. So it was mainly just trying to figure out what is it that the client requires next, how best can we do it? And I think for the first four years, that was good enough. Um, so I moved on from analyst to senior analyst, then then to a checking and a reviewing role. Um, then we sort of brought in a, a few other processes in into our office where people wouldn't have worked on um, market-related value of assets. Um, 
things like that. So that got transferred to to our team. Um, and I was constantly working with these senior consultants trying to figure out what, what is it that we need to do uh, because we didn't even do those calculations before. Um, so that part of learning was great. And when all of that finished, when we got to a space where everything is, is set in place, um, I think the the learning part stopped for me. Um, and I was just, I was in constant conversations with my manager trying to figure out what is it that I can do where is it that I can learn more is there any other client of that sort where we need to maybe start from the beginning um unfortunately at the time there weren't that many opportunities available um and also I was probably quite a key person on those clients as well but personally um I did not find that I could carry on just because I was going into my job um, knowing what I was about to do that day and there were no challenges. So I think that's where the, the learning stopped for me and then I started thinking what is it that I can do or is there anything new I can learn um, and there was this person whom I knew from Mercer who went to a UK based um, company again um, and I just thought oh, that sounds interesting. I've, I've never thought of a pension scheme linked to inflation before. <laughs> you would think that's an obvious thing to do, maybe. But yeah, it wasn't. And I started reading about it and that caught my attention. And I interviewed, um, they, they gave me a few examples of how things work in the UK-based pension schemes. And yeah, I, I got really interested and moved to Aon, Um and yes, yeah, started my career in the UK environment there. No. So not not really a deliberate move, but maybe a need for learning something new that was more deliberate um, that made me do this. Okay, so you're focusing on UK pensions, but you're still based in India. At what point do you start thinking, actually, maybe I'd like to relocate to the UK? Um. Again, very, very fortunate in that manner because I didn't really think I had to uh, relocate. It was an opportunity with Aon. Um, there was a big exercise, uh, enhanced transfer value exercise, which where the, the company is trying to manage the scheme's liability better by offering some of the major liability holders an extra incentive to take their transfer value out of the scheme um, so to to get rid of the risks a little uh, it was a very big exercise and at that time they needed a resource in the UK and that's how Aon moved me to the UK environment L loving it ever since so did you I mean that's a big move um, I've never been to India but I imagine there are cultural differences there how, how did you find it was it smooth from a personal point of view or was it was it a big change? Yeah, I mean, it was smooth in a manner that I was moved to the office where I was already working with these consultants, senior consultants, scheme actuaries. Um, so it was better for me in a manner that I came to a company where I already had some friendships developed uh, by then. It was a much easier move because... Aon did take very good care of me. Everyone was very welcoming. 
wanting to show me around, um, inviting me for dinners. And we even had a Diwali party at my place and it was all very inclusive. Um, but at the same time, I, I didn't know the accent very well. Right. <laughs> and then there are so many in the UK. You sometimes come in and you, you think, in India... I do know there are different accents, but when you go to another country, you just think there is only one. Okay, I don't yeah. know why. I don't <laughs> know why I thought that. <laughs> you, I just expected everyone would be speaking the same way as, as the people I'm used to talking to. Um, so it was a big change. Um, the the jokes are also different when you move to another country. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it took me a while uh, getting used to that. The, the food portions were very big, I'll, I'll tell you that. So I was never, ever able to finish my lunch in time. And people would be asking me, oh, did you not like this? Or how are you still eating at six o'clock in the evening? <laughs> it's like, I can't deal with the portions. <laughs> but it's just little things. Um, yeah, so... It, Took me a couple of years to really fully get integrated into uh, into this environment, but once you get there, once you get over the the initial hurdles, I think you you just realise it's just people everywhere. Before we hit record, you mentioned I think you've got a friend that's either just moved or in the process of of moving here. Um, I get approached quite a lot by people working in India um, and they'd quite like to move to the UK. What, what advice do you give or what, what recommendations do you make if someone's thinking about making the move? Or are there certain things they should research or take into consideration first, do you think? That's a very good question. For, for me, it just happened. Um, I didn't really give it a thought. I didn't really get approached by a recruiter or a different company. I just thought I was going to do probably the same job but just in another country with the same people um i think things to consider would be what you find yourself comfortable in which environment do you like the the calculative the number bit more in your job or do you like the consulting side of things are you are you comfortable with that um so really think about that just because it's not easy, you might you might think I understand all the concepts. I know how my numbers are working. I know this is what should be presented. Doesn't necessarily mean that someone else who is your client is going to understand in the same manner as you understand your concepts. So I think um, people, especially from India they are more used to working with the scheme actuaries or the senior consultants. These are the people who already know these concepts and they fully appreciate what the scheme is trying to do. And you would be speaking in a manner that's that's not completely acceptable to a client. Um, if you carry on doing that, um, they might come out of the meeting thinking, I did not follow a word, but I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to look stupid or I didn't want to insult the person who was advising. So I think it's it's a big change when you start to think, how do I explain it? And, and, and something I used to do. Um, so I was once speaking to my mum-in-law about uh, pensions and, and how her pension is working. And the way I had to speak to her 
and and this is um, I hope I'm not causing any offense to any of the trustees <laughs> um but I just thought that she's someone who does who who is a smart person who understands pensions how her pension is working but maybe just needs a little bit of help and the way I would explain how her pension is changing to her is the is the way I used to then apply to my clients and that's where I first started to think oh is that gonna work is that a good way of explaining a concept to someone who has a little bit of knowledge about this but maybe does not understand exactly everything that goes into a funding valuation report for example um, so I, I started taking that approach and maybe someone who's trying to look to move to to a consulting environment maybe they should think can they really do this um is it something that they would like to do because to be fair you you might be perfectly comfortable with just doing the numbers and it's quite interesting and i was fine with it <laughs> as well um but yeah things to one of the major things to consider is is moving from that heavily calculated um work environment to to this consulting ever involve evolving you don't know what the next question you're going to be asked kind of environment and are you then comfortable enough with your concepts but also comfortable enough in explaining it to a person who doesn't understand it completely are you, are you okay with that so that would be a big question that someone should ask themselves and maybe it's not only for for people who are moving from india to the uk it's anyone who's moving from an analyst to a consultant role do you do you really think that you can fulfill that role or would you like to go into another specialist role or just just carry on those calculations bit and not be consulting the the client so much but being more efficient doing like producing models that would help make those calculations quicker there there are many roles available for anyone who's still trying to be in the the calculative um number environment but not wanting to speak to the clients very much so that that would be a big um factor to consider another one i would say is the weather for sure <laughs> <laughs> it's always wet and cold <laughs> <laughs> it was nice last week <laughs> Yeah, I I sometimes I go back to India and I see the dry hot weather and I feel like my skin is burning. And then here sometimes I'm just like it's always wet and cold. Like <laughs> give me a break. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I think you can get the best of both the worlds if you just plan enough when to go where. <laughs> yeah, good advice. Um if we jump forward a bit so you then move to a smaller consultancy. I'm always interested in sort of people's experience and, and what they did. First of all, what was your role there? How would you describe your sort of day-to-day -day responsibilities there? Um, so I started at Broadstone and I was there for about uh, over a year, maybe. Really, really good company, really good team culture. Um, and what I liked the most, which was a big difference, difference from where I've always been, um, the clients were smaller the clients were more uk based 
people that you can relate to more, um, businesses that, that are probably struggling just as much as any other business you see around yourself. Um, and that's where I think I got this um, maybe a responsible consultant feeling in me where it's not just about the numbers I am putting in the report. It's not just about presenting those numbers. It's really thinking about how can I help them. And I think that was lacking in me just because I was working with much bigger clients. Any problem, it wasn't an issue for them. I didn't have to be very creative in finding an issue for them. Anything that you suggest they can afford pretty much. Um, so when I worked in a company like Broadstone, I did see funding levels so low that I was thinking, how are they surviving this? How are they even paying our fees? And if they could, if if we could be more efficient in our, in our solutions, then could that money go back into the scheme? Um, and that's where I really started working. So I, w- I was just into a, a trustee advisory role. Um, and one of the mentors, so I, I don't know if we can name people here, but um, Jaime Norman, he was a scheme actuary. Uh, He still is a scheme actuary. I was working with him um, and he brought me into one of the clients that was going for a buyout. Um, The client needed GMP equalization done before that. They they needed everything (laughs) that we could do for them, but in a much more efficient manner. And that's where you start to think, how can I help? You you don't think, especially in a company as small as Broadstone, you don't think, is there a risk transfer team? Is there a GMP equalization team? I'm gonna tell them what to do and I'm gonna manage the, the entire project. It's not like that. It's just, you need to do what your clients need and you need to learn quite quickly, all of those things. Um, and I was just fortunate enough that somebody saw that in me. They, they saw that I could probably handle this much learning in that shorter space of time. Luckily, I did. And I got to see a lot of different processes all at once. And then I thought, oh, risk transfer. That's quite good. <laughs> Buyout's quite good. I am really interested. I, I am enjoying the side of also communicating with the insurers, building a relationship there as well. Um, so yeah, it's just one of those things where moving, I, I don't think it's always that you, if you're working with a big company, you should stay with a big company um, just because that's the environment you're comfortable in. It's just as challenging to go to a smaller company, just the challenges are going to be different. But I quite enjoyed the move uh, from a big company to a small one. And then I'm now back to a bigger company again, but I I carry that learning with me. Um, And even in big companies, you've got really small schemes and I apply the same knowledge that I have gained at Broadstone. So yeah, that's how my move was. One of the things I've always enjoyed, I think about the pensions, market is you're certainly not the first person to highlight that that personal connection where you actually it's not just a scheme it's a person it's a member behind it or even if it's a company behind it that are struggling with bigger issues over the years I've spoken to some insurance actuaries as well and I can't recall any of them 
talking the same way about the customers of an insurance product it's not it's not quite the same does that sort of personal connection and you're actually helping someone out there on a personal level is that one of your motivations yeah definitely I mean nowadays whenever I'm doing something for my client I'm also thinking it's for the member as well which wasn't in there with me in me before um so if I am spending hours and hours fixing something I really think how is it going to help everyone um my client my my the members of those schemes um is there something else we can do instead of spending hours? I'm not trying to be lazy. I'm not trying to not do the right thing. But then highlighting to the client that it's going to take this much time. This is the difference it's going to make in your scheme. That's how much we're going to end up charging you. Do you want to take legal advice first before we begin all of this work? Is it material enough? And if if yeah, legal advice comes back saying, yes, we absolutely have to do this, then we do it. And at that point, at least the client understands that this is something we we need to do rather than us being salesy as we could sometimes come across as if we're just trying to sell some business and try to, trying to get more money out of the clients. It's not really about that. And maybe we need to look at it if if it's being said for us maybe we need to take a pause and say is there something else i can do here um and yeah bring material materiality clause in there whenever you can and take advice first there's, there's no harm this is what we do uh, we provide advice but doesn't mean we don't need that advice every now and then so speak to your clients about it and be more open about what the the budgetary requirements are going to be for everything that we're doing and I think the clients then appreciate more uh, how honest we are being and we're not trying to get business out of them we're just trying to help the scheme do the the best possible that they can to the members of the scheme and in that way it's just yeah the, the client understands this is something needed rather than us trying to just do something innovative or I don't know just trying to (laughs) carry on with our passions and making the client pay for it okay and we've talked about your another motivator of yours is learning you love learning new things is there anything else apart from that that also drives you or that you use as a measure for your success um I would say definitely building good relationships uh, whether that's with my clients or with the teams around me. Um, and also if I've contributed maybe somewhere in a small manner, there's not much that changes in a pension world. But um, if there is in our day-to-day jobs, if there is something that we can do um, that maybe makes the processes a bit better, I think... I, I quite enjoy that, um, just being able to do it, just being able to come up with a different solution. Um, it doesn't always have to be the way it's been done before. Um, and just challenging myself to do it differently is something I enjoy. It doesn't mean I always manage to do it. Sometimes the answer is what it is, that's how it's done. Um, but maybe asking that question, if there's a different way around this, is is 
quite interesting and keeps me keeps me interested in the job. What about outside of work? How do you balance work with life and are the same things that motivate you in work the same as outside? Yeah, probably. <laughs> How do I balance? So I I have again started playing badminton, which I left a long time ago. So probably the learning is coming there <laughs> as well. Um, I do some house renovation um, on on the weekends. And, and the one thing that's really got me interested is, you know, the skirting boards on the wall. When, you, when you're painting a wall a different colour and your skirting board is different, getting that straight line. I, okay. don't, <laughs> I don't know what's so good about it. <laughs> but I am spending hours doing that, <laughs> getting it as perfect perfect as I can without the help of that tape that we use. Um, so I don't know, maybe I find it very therapeutic. Um, and then I have a cat and I get lots of cuddles from her and... Yeah, that that's my life outside work. But maybe yeah, when I'm talking this out loud, maybe I apply the same concepts in my personal life as well as I do in my um, professional life. So yeah, le- learning is continuing there as well. Go on, what's your straight line technique? Got any tips for people out there? <laughs> well, from my experience, which is very short, um, what <laughs> I've learned is do not use... Uh, um, a good chunk of paint on your brush. Keep it as minimum as possible. Get a much straighter line with less paint on your brush. Um, there you go. And then if it's not perfect, ignore it. <laughs> Brilliant. Some skirting board advice. If that makes it, if you're listening to this now, then the rest didn't go very well. <laughs> yeah, if not actually, I've got myself a builder job. <laughs> so so now you're focusing on on... Are you focused on risk transfer or are you combining that with something else? What, what's your day-to-day now? Yeah, the the uh, main focus right now is, again, bulk annuities. As I said, um, it really got my attention at Broadstone. Unfortunately, they, they weren't in a position where a lot of their clients would be able to move to the insurers. So I just didn't want to lose that opportunity that was there, that is still there in the market where a lot of schemes are still interested. Um, and... I don't know if if I would get that opportunity again, so I just grabbed it and yeah, everyday job is trying to get that end goal achieved for my clients, uh, speaking to different insurers, learning how they do their pricing, what can come out of a better relationship with an insurer, it's not just a contract, Um, at the end of the day we are all people. And the better relationship that you have with the parties involved, the better outcome for the client. Um, Funding and benefits is still there, but I am not actively working on it at the moment, just so I keep putting myself into a situation where I have to learn and I don't get into funding and get comfortable again. Um, So yeah, actively trying to, to make the bulk annuity sector work for me. Yeah, and we're, we're we're expecting the bulk annuity market to grow even further than it has to date, I guess, with everything that's going on. Um, some people listening might not yet have started their career. They might be studying actuarial science or maths and thinking of becoming an actuary. And, and if they do, it may well be that risk transfer is a more prominent part of their early career. So for the benefit of them, could you explain to them a bit more about what you do in a way that they'd understand? Yeah, sure. Um, so think of it 
I think of a company where long, long time ago, they offered this pension to to the employees just to attract new employees or to retain the existing ones, where the promises that were made are quite difficult to keep. Not that the companies are not keeping those promises, they're trying their best, but there are challenges because of the ever-changing market. Um, There are challenges because the legislation throws different hurdles at them. Um, And there are schemes that might be thinking now that the DB pension might not be the, the best solution for them to carry on. And this is where us as bulk annuity advisors or risk transfer advisors come in where we say, okay, if, if you've had enough and you have enough money to put into the scheme now, so you can, in a way, transfer all the risk that you have been taking on for years and you will be for, let's say, another 100 years or so, carrying on your balance sheets, you can transfer all of that to an insurer in a very safe and secure manner, um, making sure that the members get their benefits paid. And then if, if it's if you're thinking just from the member's point of view, you could think of it as in any other insurance policy, which you have with a very well-established insurer. Um, and the policy is that they are going to pay your insurance as in when, um, sorry, pension, as in when it's due. Um, and we are trying to facilitate um, that to happen and making sure that correct benefits are secured with the insurers and the scheme gets the the best deal it could to move to another insurer. So hopefully that's understandable enough in layman terms, but that's what we do. Brilliant. So a few more questions, if I may. So you've, uh, you're in the fortunate position where you've worked for a few different companies, you've, you've named some of them, but maybe without referencing specific companies in this answer, what would you say are some of the differences and similarities you find when you transition from one to another? Is it, is it culture at the top of the list and people or are there other things that people might not realise can be different between one company and another? Um, I am probably quite different uh, in my thinking to other people. So I I try not to associate myself with a company uh, or the name of the company. I just think it's just the people that I work with. It's the work that I get out of it. And it's the culture in the team. It's the people around me. Am I, am I okay enough? Am I enjoying this? And I don't really care where with which company it sits I just think about other people that are more senior to me that I am working with are they acting as a role model to me am I am I looking up enough to to be able to achieve something and it's not necessarily just the people who are more senior than me it's also the the people who are junior to me and there's a lot to learn um from them as well so it's those kind of things it's it's the team culture whether it was a smaller company or a bigger company I I enjoy that closeness that we have uh, within our teams and it has been there even when I was a small company or where I am now Um, and I really enjoy that part and 
I would, I would move only because I am missing those parts, not because I am thinking I should go to a bigger firm now or to a smaller firm now. I just want to be happy doing what I'm doing. And if that comes with these people over here or those people on, on some different side, I, I really don't think about it in that manner. Um, and but at the end of it, it, it's a very small world. I'll pensions, actuarial world, you come across people who've you've worked with before, who you've met before. And it's all the same to me. It's just, yeah, I don't, I don't really associate with those brand names. It's just, I have a mentor who's really good for me here. I used to have a mentor who was really good for me in another company and I'm getting enough opportunities to carry on that learning and helping my clients through and it doesn't matter where I sit. That's how I look at it. Fantastic. I think that's a brilliant attitude, actually. I will ask you the same three questions that I'm intending to ask to every guest. Uh, So you may have heard these before. But um, question number one is, what advice would you give someone just starting their actuarial career in pensions today? Hmm. Uh, what advice? <laughs> you, you've asked these questions before and I've, I'm thinking I should have really thought this through. <laughs> no, it's better if you haven't. <laughs> Maybe consider, would you really enjoy doing the actual work that we do? Whether it's consulting or number crunching, is this something that interests you, uh, that keeps you happy? Maybe maybe it's a very good title to be looking at and maybe you want to achieve that title. But maybe don't put yourself under too much pressure to just to get to a point maybe where you can call yourself a qualified actuary. I don't think it's about it's about that end goal. It's about enjoying the journey. So as I said before, I've I've started my exams again and it's after 10 or 12 years maybe um it's been a long time and as i said it's not really that you learn from your seniors you learn from your juniors as well and this is where i was discussing to this about taking exams again to one of my juniors who who are more into that world right now and i was just saying it feels so daunting to now start something that's I I know for a long long time I would have to keep doing this because yeah I don't have the time to finish this quickly and uh, my my junior consultant she said to me maybe just think of it as one chapter at a time just one day at a time and that advice was so helpful now when I do my exams I don't think about Am I able to complete them in three in three or five years? When am I going to be the qualified actuary that I want to be? I just read a book as if I am there to just read the book and enjoy it. And imagine like you would when you are reading a fictional or a storybook, whatever, someone's biography. You, you tend to enjoy what is it that the book is trying to tell you. And I just take it as a concept I am learning. It doesn't matter if I apply it to the actuarial world or not. Who defines what what it should be applied to? Um, So I'm just thinking, 
to enjoy what I'm learning, to look around myself, see if there's a problem, see if that concept can be applied rather than thinking, when can I become a qualified actuary? Um, and I am really genuinely enjoying doing that. I don't know if that would be a way for any other fellow actuaries listening to this. Um, but if there is someone who's thinking, maybe I want to do this, but I'm not sure if I can have this life where for the first five years I have to completely devote myself to to these actuarial exams. Maybe it doesn't have to be that way. There are examples like me who are very slowly learning this um, and it's been it's been great just doing that as well. So yeah, that, that would be my advice that it doesn't always have to be that fast-paced competitive world that we are more used to. Um, it can be at your own pace, it can be as you enjoy it and the concepts can be applied to wherever you want. It's not just pensions and insurance. I love that. Read the book. It's not about a race to saying you've completed the series. It's about enjoying it as you're reading it and, and that should be the that should be the point. That's a brilliant analogy. Not the way I put it, but the way you put it was brilliant. Question number two is how do you see the role of the UK Pensions Actuary evolving over time and what role do people at your level have to play in that? Um well if Okay, not trying to sound too controversial. If we were talking about this offline, most people would say it's a dying industry, especially in the role that I am in, where I'm trying to get the all these pension schemes off to an insurer. And, and you would think, what is left after this? And I do often think to that myself. But as I said, I don't think our actuarial knowledge is limited to pensions or insurance. I don't know exactly where it would be or if much would change in the next 12 months, but I think the long-term thinking I would like to have is even if one of us thinks about the tool that pension was to, to attract employees, to retain employees, and it was really, really beneficial for the employees themselves. It, it still is. Um, if we could think of something, a tool like that, again, that can be in the market, but also learn from our mistakes where we didn't think that ma managing a DB pension scheme fund would be so difficult. Where so, so if we could protect this tool from the market movements, if we could still make it as good a tool to retain people. So I know there's DC schemes, I know there's a combination of DB and DC being looked at, um, but is it secure enough for, for the members to enjoy their retirement um, and for the clients to be able to sustain this tool? If we could come up with something new in the market, which which could serve both purposes, but not carry on the mistakes that we made, um, I think I, I'm talking more beyond 12 months, but if we could move ahead in that direction, um, that would be great. Question number three is, what are you looking forward to in the next 12 months? I think there's a lot to learn in the bulk annuity market and it, Mercer has been a great company, especially my team has been 
really, really good. The, the people I'm working with are so senior and yet they don't act like they are super senior and everyone is a call away. And I am really looking forward to learning more. Um, and I think I will do because I do have all the resources available around me and I think I'm motivated enough to do that. So really looking forward to that. Fantastic. Um, Suja, people, whether you believe it or not, people will be listening to this and thinking they've really enjoyed your story and the, the topics we've touched on. If anybody has any questions, would like to reach out to you about anything you've said, are you happy for them to do so? And what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, of course. Um, anytime. Um, best way, I would say, would be LinkedIn. Um, I'm not very, very active on LinkedIn, but I do try. Um, it, it's one of the challenges of us taken on I don't know if I'll be there in the next 12 months <laughs> but I am actively trying to to get my uh, point of view across um, but yeah um, just send me a message um, add me follow me whatever on LinkedIn well Suchu thank you so much it's been I know we've spoken in the past but we haven't even been on a video call before and, and sort of met this way so thanks so much for, for for being one of the first guests on on actual people it's been brilliant and uh yeah, I wish you all the best in your in your new role. Yeah, thanks, thanks, James, for having me. I, I as I said, I, most people find me quite boring. I hope the session hasn't been that boring. And I was very surprised that you were interested in my point of view. But after speaking to you, I can see how this might be helpful to other people. Um, so, I, I, I hope um, this has been helpful. Thank you for having me. It's, it's been a great pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Actuarial People. Please don't forget to subscribe and consider leaving a review. If you have any questions or feedback or any suggestions for future guests, please contact me on info at actuarialpeople.com. This podcast is sponsored by my recruitment company, Turner Perkins, and you can contact me there at james.turner at turnerperkins.com. Hope to see you again.